When you click on a YouTube video, you tell yourself, I'm just gonna watch this one and then that's it, I'll get offline. Then somehow about 10 cat videos later, you're watching a 9-11 conspiracy video. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. In this episode of The Digital Balance, we're diving into how platforms like YouTube amplify certain content over others and why the fact that they keep this process a secret can be problematic. We're also gonna talk about something that YouTube AI specialist Guillaume Chaslow calls algorithmic extremism. This is The Digital Balance, where we discuss the latest news in digital wellness and help you change your digital habits for good. As usual, this episode is divided into the what, the why, and the how. Starting with the what. YouTube's recommendation algorithm generates over 700 million watch hours per day for the platform. Likewise, Facebook's recommendation algorithm generates almost 1 billion watch hours for its platform. And those are just watch hours from the recommendation algorithms, not total watch hours. This is not content that people are searching for. This is content that is being amplified by the platforms themselves in the form of their AI recommendation systems. First, I want to explain how the YouTube recommendation system works in the background. So say you're getting on YouTube for the first time and you watch a video. YouTube takes this information and starts to build a sort of digital doppelganger of you. Then as you watch content, they build up the digital replica. Think of it as them building up more and more of your digital replica's DNA. They compare your digital doppelganger with millions of other viewers that they have and find ones that are similar or identical to yours. And basically they recommend videos based on what people similar to you are watching and engaging with. So every interaction that you have with the platform is another piece of information that they add to your digital replica until they have a complete digitized version of you, until they practically know you better than you know yourself. You know how it seems like sometimes your computer or iPhone is listening in on you? While this may be true to a certain extent, it's not because your phone is listening to you that YouTube or Facebook is able to so easily recommend content or ads that seem to be such a perfect fit. It's because they have a perfect digital profile of you that matches exactly who you are. They may even know your innermost desires better than you know yourself. By comparing you to other human beings who are just like you, they have a composite of data on you that's greater than even that of your lawyer or doctor, a point we will come back to in a minute. So you get on YouTube and it recommends video after video that has you salivating for content. At least that's what it's like for me. It seems to know just the content that will keep me on the platform. And this doesn't have to be a bad thing. If it was just trying to entertain us with cute animal videos, sure, it's wasting our time and can be addictive, but that's honestly the least of our problem. The fact is though, that the algorithm has an alarming tendency to push users towards content that skews towards the extreme. And in some cases, it's downright illegal. Back in February of 2019, it came to the public's awareness that YouTube was pushing users towards softcore child pornography. A YouTuber named Matt Wilson noticed that the YouTube algorithm was not only monetizing, but actively pushing users towards suggestive video content of children. I've linked to his video in the show notes, but I will warn you that it's kind of hard to watch and I myself could not get through the video. It doesn't show anything, like it's completely blurred, 
but just hearing him talk about it and, and knowing what's behind the blurs is really difficult. Anyways, even when the algorithm isn't pushing users to content that is illegal, it tends to push users to content that goes against our values as a society. But what makes these issues truly complex is that these algorithms won't point you towards something that you think is abominable outright. Yes, they lean toward the extreme, but they do it slowly. For instance, this issue with the suggestive content involving children may never have risen to the surface if Watson hadn't stumbled upon it and called it out. In fact, YouTube is lucky that he did or it could have continued for years, even decades. That's because the AI behind these algorithms only recommends content to users that it thinks will truly enjoy the content that it is recommending. That means that while it does lean to the extreme side, it still caters to who you are. So it is highly unlikely that any content it recommends to users will get flagged. Otherwise, the AI wouldn't have recommended it to them in the first place. It is unlikely the algorithm would be dumb enough to recommend content that is unsavory to someone they know so well. It already knows what you think is savory and unsavory. So would it recommend something that you would flag as inappropriate? In other words, with the pedophilia content, the AI was recommending that content to users it knew was already or could potentially be into pedophilia. Same thing with other extreme content. The algorithm only recommends disinformation and extremism to people it believes are or have the potential to be extremists. This is really bad news for humanity as a whole. That's the thing with AI. It doesn't understand context. It doesn't know the difference between what's good or bad, right or wrong, and what's best for humanity or not. This particular AI system is just built for engagement. It's built to keep you watching, and it's really good at that. But it has no way of knowing that the content it's promoting is false, cruel, violent, etc. It's a math equation. As much as AI can sometimes feel human because of its ability to learn, it is not. First of all, if you've listened to my previous episodes, you know that negative, salacious content drives engagement with platforms. The human mind can't help but be attracted to it for evolutionary reasons. But then when you add in this environment driven by the relationship between the recommendation systems, content creators, and users, it really ups the ante. Guillaume Chaslow, the former YouTube employee and AI specialist who actually used to be in charge of this recommendation algorithm, explained that these recommendation systems, content creators, and users all heavily influence one another. The recommendation system's goal is to maximize engagement, so it looks at users who are hyper-engaged as models to be reproduced. The recommendation system will then favor their content. Content creators see that and, in an attempt to get more views and likes themselves, create more content like the hyper-engaged users. Thus, it's a never-ending feedback loop. So some of you might be saying, so what? Just turn it off or take it away from your kids. You can blame it on bad self-control or bad parenting. But here's the thing. These are supercomputers. Supercomputers that have studied the weaknesses of billions of people. And not only that, but they have studied the weaknesses of millions of people just like you. So they will find your cracks. You might say, what? Waste another hour watching videos on how to better plan my week? Isn't that a waste of time when I could just, you know, plan my week? 
That's my personal weakness, is watching personal productivity videos. But YouTube knows the Achilles heel of my brain. It knows that I will justify watching just another five minutes in order to be more productive. Think about it. How much content do you actually search for when you go on YouTube? I know for me, I usually get on the site and search for my first video. Then from there, all the content I watch is from the recommendation system. So that's like 90% of the content I watch. Actually, if you want to be scientific about it, 70% of YouTube's 1 billion watch hours come from its recommended content. That's a lot of content. So should they be responsible for the content their algorithms are actively promoting? This brings me to the why portion of our episode. Remember when I mentioned that these platforms have more information on you than even your doctor or lawyer? Think about the regulations a doctor or lawyer has to follow when they collect data on you. Doctors have HIPAA and lawyers have client attorney privilege. That's because if your doctor or lawyer used the information that they have on you, which is really sensitive data, they could do some pretty messed up stuff. But according to a regulation many in the industry refer to as CDA 230, Online platforms are absolved of any responsibility when it comes to what they publish. So what is CDA 230? It refers to a section in the Communications Decency Act, the CDA, which was a law created in 1996, way before social media ever even existed, or at least social media as we know it today. It states that internet platforms are not liable for what third parties post on their sites. This is reasonable. Facebook shouldn't be held accountable because someone comments something ignorant on someone else's post. Think of all the court costs that would rack up. But if Facebook then promotes that comment again and again and again and again, should they be held liable? What happens when they are collecting our data to then promote that content to us? That's the thing. The Communications Decency Act was created in the mid-90s. And since then, there haven't been any new regulations to hold any social media platforms accountable for what they publish, promote, or advertise. This is problematic, especially since there is zero transparency when it comes to how these platforms, such as YouTube, are promoting certain content over others. Guillaume Chaslow talks about how important it is to understand who the hyper-engagers are in order to understand why the recommendation systems are recommending what they recommend. It goes back to earlier when we were talking about how the hyper-engagers are the models to be reproduced by the recommendation systems. Because it is the hyper-engagers who act as models for the AI, their behavior can kind of act as a crystal ball to predict how the recommendations will sort of push the rest of the users. In fact, he has a nonprofit organization called Algo Transparency that attempts to publish the latest numbers on what YouTube is amplifying. Of course, YouTube argues that he doesn't have the latest data, so what he is publishing isn't accurate. To which I say, exactly. Y'all have the latest numbers, so why don't you publish it? But of course they won't. YouTube has no incentive to publish this data at least not at this moment. They may argue that if they publish this data, then people may try to manipulate the algorithm. But people are already doing this. There are tons of videos on YouTube about how to manipulate the YouTube algorithm. People already mess with the SEO to manipulate the algorithm into promoting their content. 
Some people even try to buy views to ensure that their video will be promoted more by the recommendation algorithm. Which brings me to my next point. Let me now explain how the YouTube recommendation algorithm works from the content creation side. It would be ideal if it promoted every video equally. If once a video was created, it promoted each one, saw how they did, and if it did well, it continued to promote it. However, the algorithm is, for lack of a better term, greedy. So if a video doesn't do well right away, it doesn't really have a chance of getting promoted at all. If a video doesn't get tons of views and engagement right off the bat, it is unlikely that it will get recommended much by the YouTube algorithm. So unless someone goes viral or is already popular, their video won't get much traction quickly on the platform. That is how these feedback loops get created. When only certain people truly have a large voice on these platforms, only particular points of view are being shared. If someone who doesn't follow traditional media watches a small number of content creators, they can easily have their worldview shifted to be a more extreme version of their current beliefs. That's what researchers refer to as echo chambers and filter bubbles that can be created by social media platforms. Echo chambers and filter bubbles refer to the way that these recommendation algorithms tend to only recommend content that they think you would already like, rather than traditional media which shows the world just as it is. As technology evolves, we are creating a world where it's less and less likely for us to interact with people who have different beliefs, values, or opinions from us, or who look different from us. It's really easy to avoid new ideas, or rather, it's difficult to be exposed to new ideas without a lot of bias. In an interesting paper, Through the Newsfeed Glass, Rethinking Filter Bubbles and Echo Chambers, social scientists Giacomo Talamanca and Celine Arfini argue that the explanation of filter bubbles and echo chambers is oversimplified, and they say that people are, in fact, exposed to new ideas, but because we are just exposed to them in digital format, it's hard to be convinced. This goes back to what I was talking about last week. Humans are evolved to have full-bodied social experiences, not text-based ones. So if someone has a strong belief, it's going to be hard to convince them to believe otherwise without an in-person, back-and-forth dialogue. So that brings me to the how portion of the episode. This week, my exercise for you is pretty simple. This week, when you are browsing YouTube or any search engine on the internet, really, Try browsing it from a different point of view. Throw off the recommendation algorithms. Try searching for things you wouldn't normally search for, or search for them in like a different way than you would usually search for them. Follow people with different perspectives from yours. I'm not saying you should follow people who are promoting hate and disinformation, but maybe follow someone with different political or cultural beliefs than your own. Sometimes if we hit unfollow just because we disagree with someone, it only further polarizes our society instead of encouraging us to learn how the world really is, or more importantly, encouraging us to learn how to talk to one another. If you want to take this a step further, try having conversations with someone with different beliefs than your own. What do you think of the episode? Let me know in the comments. That wraps up this episode of The Digital Balance. Thank you for tuning in and remember to hit subscribe for more insights into finding the equilibrium in our digital lives. 
Until next time, stay balanced in both the digital and real worlds. Thank you.